building to the extension of this building, it is just amazing to see God's faithfulness. His hand on this church, in the people in this church, in their lives, in their children's life, it's just amazing. So thank you, Jesus, for this new journey that we can step into. And thank you for your faithfulness in the season past. Amen. So we are continuing our series, O Holy Night. And this morning we are looking at the second part of verse 2. I'd like to read it for us. It says, Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by, by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star, sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. Jesus came as a baby. And I know, we all know that he came as a baby. <laughs> but this morning, like um, Lainey asked last week, I asked that we won't be shut down by familiarity. We know the story, but God isn't done. His story isn't finished. So God has something to say to each and every one of us this morning. So I ask that you'd open your hearts, open your minds, and be attentive to his spirit, because he is not done, and he's not done with you, and he wants to speak to you this morning. He came as a baby. That means he was completely dependent on his mother to feed him, to nurture him, to love him. He's a baby. Babies can't do anything other than cry and drink and make nappies. <laughs> so he was dependent on his mother. He was dependent on his parents. And isn't that such a beautiful picture if we think about us having that relationship with God? We are completely dependent on God to provide for us, to love on us, and to nurture us. We are nothing if we don't have our relationship with God. Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, He was fully man in every way. In every way, he was man. He was human, just like we are. Human, fully man. So let's read Matthew 2. I'm just going to move this because I'm worried I'm going to. Let's read Matthew 2 from verse 13 to 20. We're continuing where Lainey ended last week. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he had stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the, through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. 
When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time they had learned from the Magi. Then what he had said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So Jesus had a, oh, not Jesus, sorry. Joseph has a dream from God on how to protect his son. And Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. He was his adoptive father. But he still had the responsibility of taking care of him, to protect him, and to nurture him. So G uh, Joseph was guided by God. Divine guidance comes from a heart to a heart that is ready to accept it. If you this morning are looking for divine guidance, if you are seeking guidance from the Lord, you need to have your heart prepared and open to accept it. Joseph remained at full attention to what God had to say to him on how to take care of his son. In this piece of scripture and in the carol that we just um, saw and heard, we see Jesus's vulnerability. He was a baby, he was human, and he knew what it was like to be a refugee. He had to go to Egypt with parents who were most likely very fearful of fleeing and going to a different place. And they went to live in Nazareth, which is a one-horse town. The great thing about it is that Lainey asked, um, told us last week about the uh, worth of the gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus. And scholars believe that they used that money to pay to be able to flee to Egypt. So God provided them with what they needed to be able to move and to go to Egypt. They were in a space of vulnerability, in a place of fearfulness, and God provided them to be able to go. Here, my children, here's a way for you to go where you need to be, to be protected. And Jesus had to follow a pathway of humility. Matthew says that he was fulfilling the saying that he would be called a Nazarene. And God has a habit of using very insignificant places and people to do his will and his purpose. Jesus was known as Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus of Nazareth. And Nazareth was a despised place. Jesus wasn't a king in Jerusalem. He grew up 
in an insignificant place. In Israel, there were three provinces. Judea, where that's where Jerusalem was, and everyone was proud of Judea. Further north, north was Samaria, and the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along at all. And then still further north was Galilee of the Gentiles, and they were known as people living in the darkness. So that was the most despised place of all. In John 1 verse 46, it says, Nathanael said to Philip, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Should Jesus have grown up in Rome, a place of political influence? Should he have grown up in Athens, a place of learning and scholarship? Should he have grown up in Jerusalem, a place of dead religion? God didn't choose any of those places. He chose the despised Nazareth. If you are sitting here this morning thinking that you are not worthy or unsuited or despised by people, and you think you cannot be used by God, then you are wrong. Sorry, you are wrong. God wants to use you. He wants to love on you. He wants to use you. He has seen you as worthy. He's seen you as worthy when he died on the cross, and he's seeing you as worthy today. He is not done, and he wants to use you. He doesn't care about the things that's now going up in my mind, like, why am I, I can't do this because this is this, I can't do, he doesn't care. <laughs> he made you, and he created you, and he wants to use you. All he is asking for is a heart that says yes. That's all he's asking for. In the last line of the carol, it goes on by saying, In all our trials, born to be our friend. So we are doing an advent calendar at home with the kids, and we are using, um, so each morning they can open a packet, and it, we have names of Jesus or what Jesus is to us. And there are many, many descriptions Savior, Redeemer, um, son of God, there's all these, these descriptions. But I wonder how many of us will use the word friend to describe Jesus. I didn't. <laughs> when I made the Advent calendar, I didn't use the word friend. I should have, yeah. Um, but why don't we use the word friend to describe Jesus? Hebrews 2 verse 17, I'm going to read it again. He was fully man in every way. We can call him our friend because he gets us. Because he was where we are now. He gets us. He understands us. And it's not just the carol that says he's our friend. It says so in the word as well. John verse, um, 15 verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And the verse just before that, verse 14, You are my friends 
if you do what I command you. He gets us because he's been here himself. In Hebrews, it doesn't just say that he was human in every way. It says that he was tempted in every way. He was tempted just like we are. He was vulnerable just like we are. That is why we can call him his friends, because his heart understands what we are going through. It understands what you are going through. Hebrews 4 verse 15. We do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not, so I want to just say the opposite of that. We do have a high priest that can sympathize and does sympathize in our weaknesses. How amazing is that? He is the king of kings. He is in control of everything. And he sympathizes with us. In our anger, in our anguish, in our heartache, in our joy. He understands that because he was here. He was doing this. He was living normal human life. He was the son of God, but he was human living here on earth. In Matthew 11, verse 28 to 13, Jesus' heart is described as gentle and lowly. I want to read that scripture for us. Come to me, all all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is invitation to come. Come to Jesus Christ, who is our rest, who is our savior, and who is our hope in getting to know God. Jesus said, if you want to know my father, know me. If you know me, you know the father. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I knew this scripture, um, and I thought it was a lovely scripture. It's beautiful, it's comforting, but I thought that it would, it's only applicable to people who does not know Jesus. So you don't know him, come to him, he will give you rest, he'll love on you. And that's true. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't accepted him, accepted him as your savior, then absolutely we can pray with you the scripture and you can come to him with open arms. But it's not just for the non-believers. It's for us, the believers, every day, in every moment, to come to him, to find rest in him. If you are burdened by anxiety, fear, or illness, the invitation is to come to him and let those burdens fall on the, at his feet. Probably about two years ago, 
in one of my preaches, I um, shared about checkers and the 60-minute delivery. Um, it was near um, uh, Mother's Day, and we haven't. It was just after they came out, so we didn't. We haven't used it yet. And my husband downloaded the app and like, let's do. It's so convenient for them to deliver. And then I can't remember what the situation was, but um, that day we um, ordered so that they deliver. But a few days before, I felt this craving for quality street chocolates, which is a very strange craving. We don't eat, like we haven't eaten it, eat in it for many years. But I felt like, like having quality street chocolates. Anyway, so we didn't buy the chocolates, and then Checkers delivers, and there's a box of quality street chocolates in the delivery. And I go to my husband, and I know I'd, I placed the order, so I don't know how he would have done it, but I went to him and asked him, like, did you somehow, like, order these chocolates for me? Because he knew about the craving. He's like, no. And in that moment, I realized that this is God saying that he sees me and he loves me. He just wanted to love on me. And I felt so special and so, like, just amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for this, like, chocolates that you just popped into our grocery bag. So last week, Lainey mentioned that we have a fragrance because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we went home, and um, my husband was helping set up for carols. So I was home with the kids, and we needed milk. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to quickly... Ordered chickens is much easier than our going to the shops with them. And as I open the bag, there's a shower gel, a botanical fig, the most amazing fragrance bottle in the delivery bag. And I just thought, this is not a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. This is God reminding me that he loves me and that he cares about every single detail. And that is his heart. His heart is gentle and lowly and his heart is, I see you, I love you, I care for you, and I will be in every single detail of your life if you allow me to. That is his heart. If we look at the scripture, there's a special invitation to all who labor and are heavy laden. Are heavy laden. If we as sinners try to save ourselves, we will end up in exhaustion. If we try and conquer our own sins, we are going to fail. We're going to be exhausted, we're going to be burdensome, we're going to feel heavy laden. But there's a remedy, and that is to come to Jesus Christ. To come to him to help you conquer sin. To help you find out purpose in life within him. Not for myself and my own needs and my own whatever. And then Jesus gives a promise. He says, I will give you rest. 
the searching and the seeking and the I'm trying to do this by myself, hamster wheel comes to an end. He gives us rest. His spirit give, gives us new power, new breath, new life, a different life, a new one, amazing one. If we put ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ, then the burden isn't a burden anymore. It might seem that we that he's saying you are already burdened, so now put on my burden and then you're just more burdened. But that's not true. When we are under the authority of Jesus Christ, that burden isn't a burden. There is freedom and there is life when we choose to submit to him. As I was preparing I kept on seeing Jesus with these wide open arms. I think it's the um, kids' Bible. <laughs> they, drew, they drew Jesus many times sitting and then just with his arms wide open. But that's true for every one of us. Every day, his arms are open for us now here to come to him. He has so much compassion for you. In that circumstance where you think, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, or I can't go to him because this is such a silly thing. He has compassion for that, and he understands that because he was here. He was tempted in every way. He was tired, he got angry, he got upset, he had heartache, he had hardship, he had everything. So his arms are here and just saying, come. I have compassion, I have love, I just want to love you and shower you with me. There's a book written by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowlies. He wrote a whole book on this piece of scripture, and I want to read a piece from the book. The Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labor. Jesus himself made this clear in the very gospel, referring to Matthew 5 and 18. His promise here in Matthew 11 is rest for your souls, not rest for your bodies. But all Christian toil flows from fellowship with a living Christ whose transcending, defining reality is gentle and lowly. He astounds us and sustains us with his endless kindness. Only as we walk ever deeper into his tender kindness can we live the life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink from down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled with with world glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. The notion of kindness is here in the passage. The word translated easy in his statement, my yoke is easy, needs to be carefully understood. Jesus is not saying life is free of pain or hardship. 
This is the same word that, he, that was elsewhere translated as, for example, Ephesians 4 verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Consider what Jesus is saying. A yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Jesus is using a kind of irony, saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? Is it like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a lifesaver, only to hear him shout back, no way, not me, this is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a lifesaver around my body. That's what we are like, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. This is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is non-burdensome. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. He doesn't, we are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. That is his very heart. That is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Can I ask the band to come up so long? I asked the band to keep the last song for us after the sermon because I want us to take a moment to respond to this invitation from God. Jesus is saying, come to me. So take a moment and respond to that invitation. Respond to Jesus who was vulnerable, who was human, in every way. And he did that so that we can have an intimate, intimate relationship with him. As we sing this song, let God speak to you. Let God speak about his gentle and kind heart that he has for you. He's inviting you here, now, and every day as we walk out to come to him. Every circumstance, every day, every moment, every second, come to Jesus and let him make your burdens light like a balloon.